Well, good morning, Orchard Hills. Welcome again to everybody here inside, those who are watching online, and also outside. We are going to, oh man, what's up everybody? Wait, I guess I waved that way. That's, that's a good crowd. Well, yeah, we've been um, having an outdoor service during our 11 o'clock, so that is always available to you um, as much as we can make it according to the weather. Um, but yeah, we're glad that you are here. My name's Sutton Wirt. I'm the community care pastor here. Um, and I'm excited to continue our series uh, this summer through the book of Hosea. We're at about the halfway point. Um, and if you haven't been with us, we've covered a lot of content. Um, and that is all available online. Uh, if you want to go back and check that out, we've got that on YouTube, um, Apple Podcasts, and on our website. So I'd encourage you to do that if, if you've missed out on those things. Um, but for those of you who haven't been with us, Hosea was a prophet um, in the Old Testament. He was uh, before Christ writing uh, and speaking to the people of God, to Israel, at a time when they were spiritually and morally decaying from the inside out. Um, and in the midst of this, God asks his prophet Hosea to go and marry a prostitute named Gomer. Um, as a picture of God's covenant relationship with Israel, which was very similar to like a marriage vow, uh, and as a picture of the way that Israel had been unfaithful to him. The people of God had not been faithful to their husband. And so like Scott shared last week, Hosea uh, is a type or a, a foreshadowing of who Jesus is. Um, and so we want to emphasize that, that Jesus, we, we see his story all over the Bible on every page of Scripture. Um, and then Gomer is this type of Israel and also of us as the people of God now. Um, and so there's, there's a level of conviction to be had here in this story. Um, but through the broken relationship of Hosea and Gomer, um, in Hosea's pursuit of her and buying her back from slavery, we see our own broken relationship with God and all that he has done to, to pursue us and to buy us back from our slavery to sin and bring us back to himself. Um, so two weeks ago, Mark Hinkle talked about uh, our failure to really know God and love him for who he is. Uh, and then last week, Scott talked about repentance and the necessity of repentance if we're going to be reconciled and brought back into relationship with God. Uh, and you'll see both of those themes continue in the section that we're looking at today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hosea chapter 6. Um, Hosea is one of the minor prophets. Um, so you've got uh, kind of right in the middle of your Bible, Psalms and Proverbs, then the major prophets. That just means they're bigger than the other ones. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. And then Hosea is the first of the minor ones. Um, if you have a, a church Bible, if you want to just grab one out of the seats in front of you, it's on page 893 of those Bibles. Um, today we're looking at chapter 6, verse 4, all the way through chapter 7, verse 16. And here is what I want us to see today. Just like unfaithful Gomer, God is going to, through this passage, call out his people for all of the ways that they have failed to love him. And what we're going to see is that this failure to love, though it, it shows itself in all kinds of physical outward ways, it's really an inner problem. It's a problem of the heart. See, God had required of Israel in, in the covenant, this agreement, this marriage almost that they had entered into together. He had required that they love him with all of their heart. All the way back in Deuteronomy 6, right after they were brought out of slavery in Egypt. Um, but what was happening was that Israel was giving their love away, giving their heart away to anyone but God 
to all of these foreign gods. They were unfaithful to him, and thus they were half-hearted lovers. And church, unfortunately, you and I are no different. Maybe you think you're doing fine. Maybe you think a little prayer here, a little church there is good enough. It's not. It's not. The Lord wants our whole heart. God wants all of you. And through this passage today, Hosea is going to expose us for the half-hearted lovers that we are. Sound like a good time? All right, let's go. Um, I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into the scripture. Well, Lord Jesus, um, we need you. Uh, Lord, as the song said, we don't want uh, our love for you to be a performance or a matter of checking boxes, uh, but we want to really love you and really know you. And Lord, we uh, know that we fail uh, to do so, so much. And so, Lord, as, as we look at your word today, Lord, you've said that it's like, uh, it, it's living and active like a two-edged sword. It cuts to our heart and it shows us who we really are and what we're really living for. And so, Lord, even as you convict us, as you've said previously in Hosea, Lord, would you, would you wound us in order to heal us? Would you bind us up and show us that you are the one we need? We give you this time. Pray that you'd speak to us by your spirit, through your word, in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, like I said, uh, Hosea chapter 6, we'll start with verses 4 through 7. Notice the longing in God's heart and, and uh, just what is heard in these, vo- these verses. He says, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I've slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, the first human, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. So to start here, we really see God uh, bearing his heart to us, and his heart is broken. Uh, he says that both, both north and south, Ephraim and Judah, both kingdoms that were, were divided, both of them have not been faithful to love him. Their, their love for him has been like the dew that goes away early. And in the verses prior to these, God had said that his love was like this soaking rain that comes in and makes everything alive and and living. But he says, your love, it's here and then it's gone. It's there and then the sun just burns it away. It evaporates quickly. You say that you love me and then you're off with all these other gods doing whatever it is that you want to do. And y'all, we do the same thing, don't we? We come to church And we're all put together and we're praising God and singing the songs and nodding along to the sermon. But then we leave and we worship other gods all throughout the week. We do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. We pledge our love to God and then we live for ourselves and our idols all week long. That's not real love. We are half-hearted lovers. God also says something here that would have been surprising uh, to the people of that time. He says, more than your sacrifices, more than your offerings, I want you to truly love me and each other and truly know me. 
Now, this is surprising because God himself had set up this sacrificial system through Moses at the beginning of the nation of Israel when they came up out of slavery in Egypt. And that was a part of the covenant agreement that God had made with them. But here God is saying, that's not the main thing. I can tell if you're just going through the motions. That's not what I want. I want you to truly love me and to truly know me. I want your heart. I want your heart. Church, more than our outward performance, God wants our inward allegiance. More than half-hearted compliance, he wants our wholehearted faithfulness. We can imagine this mirrored in the story of Hosea. Um, When he married Gomer, he knew that she was an unfaithful woman. Um, And so they perhaps had some happy, peaceful days together. We know they at least had one child together. But soon enough, Gomer was back on the streets running after other men, pursuing other lovers. But I imagine that the whole time, even when they were together, Hosea knew that he didn't really have her heart. You can tell, can't you, when when the one you love isn't really giving you their heart. When the the one that you love is just going through the motions. Men, maybe you've you've been there. Maybe uh, you're sitting on the couch after a long day of work, maybe watching some TV, and your wife's like, hey, you mind doing the dishes real quick? And you're like, yeah, sure. Yep, whatever, I'll do it. And you go and do the dishes, huffing and puffing, but all the while, you know that you're not doing it with love in your heart. Your wife knows that you're not doing it with love in your heart. You have outward performance without inward allegiance. She doesn't have your heart. And it's the same with God, but even more so. Y'all, he knows our hearts. He can see our thoughts, our feelings, our motivations. It says in verse 2 of chapter 7, But they do not consider that I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them. They are before my face. It doesn't work to pretend to love our spouse or to pretend to love our close friends. Why do we think it would work with God who knows everything, who knows us inside and out? And yet we do this all the time, don't we? Friends, so many of us are coming to church just to check the box. We serve a little here, we give a little there, uh, but all the while our hearts are far from him. And God is saying, no, that's, that's not what I want. I want you. I want your heart. I don't want half-hearted compliance without whole-hearted faithfulness. I want your heart. But what else does Hosea have to show us? How else does he expose our half-hearted attempts at love. There's three, um, well, there's a number of metaphors in the rest of this passage, but we're just going to look at three of them um, and talk about what, what ideas they're communicating. So the first one is this. Um, it's the, the metaphor of a burning oven. And the idea behind it is that we are consumed by lust. Verses four through seven of chapter seven. He says, they are all adulterers. They are like a heated oven whose baker ceases to stir the fire from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. On the day of our king, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. He stretched out his hand with the mockers. For with hearts like an oven, they approach their intrigue. All night, their anger smolders, and in the morning, it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven, and they devour their rulers. 
All their kings have fallen and none of them calls upon me. Here Hosea is saying that God's people are consumed with lust for other lovers and consumed with anger at each other. Notice how the oven remains lit all night, even though no one is stoking the fire. It's smoldering and growing stronger, and then by the morning, it's blazing. The heart of God's people is consumed with lust for lovers that cannot satisfy, with anger at each other that will not be quenched, and yet we don't turn to God and ask for his help and ask for his aid. We let our lust consume us. If you look at your life and the things that you live for, if you look inside yourself at the things that you desire and the things you long for, can you, can you say that you're consumed with passion for the Lord? Or is it more accurate to say that you're consumed with lust for other things? Maybe there's something in your Amazon cart that you can't get out of your head and you won't until you have it. Maybe there's a coworker or a person at the gym that you can't stop daydreaming about thinking about, even though they are not yours. Maybe as you're living your day, you're consumed with getting back to that bed or back to the TV or back to that drink or back to that video game or whatever it is that consumes your desire and your thoughts and your attention. And rather than living in wholehearted affection for God, you're consumed with a hundred half-hearted passions for lesser loves. We all do this. Now maybe you hear that and you think, dang, you're right. I gotta get this under control. Nope. That is not the right answer. He desires steadfast love, not sacrifice. You can't change your desires and affections. It, it's not that simple. You can't just apply a nice little plan and work harder and try harder to fix what's broken inside of you. You need a deeper and a greater affection to drive out those broken desires. Uh, there was a Scottish pastor, Thomas Chalmers, in the 1800s, and he said that we can't just get rid of our sinful desires. We can't just clean them up or pull them out of our chest, but we need the expulsive power of a new affection to drive them out, an affection for God. C.S. Lewis says it like this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Church, all too often, you and I are foolish children playing in the mud of our lesser loves when our God, our good, faithful God has pledged himself to us and offers us full, free, soul-satisfying love, redemptive, healing love. And yet we turn our back and go the other way. We are half-hearted lovers, far too easily pleased. Second metaphor um, is that of a half-baked cake. And the idea behind it is that we look no different than the world. Look at verses 8 through 10. Ephraim mixes himself with the peoples 
Again, that's northern Israel, Ephraim. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Strangers devour his strength, and he knows it not. Gray hairs are sprinkled upon him, and he knows it not. The pride of Israel testifies to his face, yet they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. You see, Israel was supposed to be a nation that was separate and different and unique from all the other nations in order to show the rest of them who God was and what he was like. And yet rather than being holy, that word just means unique or different, rather than being different from the nations, they had intermarried with the other nations and adopted their customs and worshiped their gods, doing everything that the other nations were doing, resulting in them looking no different from the nations around them. They had the same stuff, worshiped the same things, and ended up having all the same values and priorities. We're the same, aren't we? We don't look any different from the world. Our lives should look different, but they don't. We live for our kids and whatever it is that they want. We waste our time on our phones and our social media and our Netflix. We gossip about our coworkers. We hate our enemies and we flatter our friends. There's no love for God. There's no love for neighbor, no different priorities, nothing that makes us look different from the world because we just do what we want to do when we want to do it. The idea here is that we're like a pancake that's not turned. We're burnt on one side, doughy on the other, useless, no good. Our witness is worthless. We look just like the world, we don't even know it, and yet we refuse to turn toward God. We are half-hearted lovers of a God who made us to love him and others wholeheartedly. The third and final metaphor is that of a silly dove, and the idea is that we fly anywhere and everywhere but toward God. Look at verses 11 through 13. Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. As they go, I will spread over them my net. I will bring them down like birds of the heavens. I will discipline them according to the report made to their congregation. Woe to them, for they've strayed from me. Destruction to them, for they've rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. Here the Lord is comparing his people to a silly dove who's flying here, flying there, anywhere but to God. They refuse to settle down with him. At this point in history, the the geopolitical world was was dangerous and things were moving around. Different nations were coming into power. And so Israel felt threatened on all sides. And rather than looking to the Lord, looking to their husband who could protect them and provide for them, they instead looked to all the surrounding nations, even Egypt, the ones that they had come up from, from slavery out of, they're going to Egypt, they're going to Assyria, they're offering tributes, they're trying to make deals because they feel threatened and rather than look to the Lord, they are looking around to any other lover than him. We do this too, don't we? Where do you run when you feel threatened? When you need help or when you're frustrated or when you're, you're feeling stressed or unsafe or out of control, where do you run? There's all kinds of places to run other than God. Maybe you run to comfort and to pleasure, just trying to escape the hard things in your life. Maybe you run to control 
order and organization and diet and fitness, just trying to present a, a good front. Maybe you run to some darker things like witchcraft, crystals, tarot cards, Ouija boards, astrology. All those things are growing in popularity. Maybe you run to religion, to moral performance, because that makes you feel safe. And so you go to all the things and you do all the things and you go to counseling and the healing prayer and to Scott's office all the while refusing to actually just bring your heart before the Lord. We are half-hearted lovers, chaotic and anxious with our hearts in a million places when all the while our God is faithful, offering us his whole heart. He kind of builds and concludes his argument in verses 14 through 16. and 14, he says, they do not cry to me from the heart. And in verse 16, he says, they return or repent, but not upward. Church, this is us. This is the state of our love. We cry out to God, but we don't even really want him. We turn away from one sin just to chase another, never actually turning to the one who would satisfy our souls. It's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? Do you feel a little exposed? I know I do. And it feels, or can feel, a little hopeless. But y'all, this is the good news, and I don't want you to miss it. What I want you to hear today is that although we are indeed very helpless, more helpless than we know, we are not hopeless. We are not hopeless. You see, Jesus had also read this passage that we're in today, and he quotes it to the religious leaders of his day who were trusting in their religion, their own moral performance to be right with God, and who were, were ridiculing Jesus for hanging out with sinners and spending time with the, the social outcasts and those who weren't considered worthy. And to them, those Pharisees, those religious leaders in Matthew 9, Jesus says this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy or steadfast love and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Friends, Jesus is the only one who can do something about the messed up, broken, sin-sick hearts that you and I have. He is the good doctor, and he is more than ready to bring healing. And there is just one key qualification for you to receive his care, and it's that you admit that you need him. You admit that you need him, that you cannot do it, that you cannot fix yourself, that the brokenness inside of you is too big for any of those other lovers or you to fix, but that he can. He says in Hosea 7.1, I would heal Israel. And in verse 13, I would redeem them. He longs to heal and restore and redeem us and to bring us back to wholeness, to, to redeem every broken and shattered place in our sin-sick hearts. But you have to humble yourself to let him. Amen. Amen? He can't redeem what you don't surrender. He cannot heal what you refuse to give to him. And so if you're thinking... 
man, you're right. I'm going to get on this. I'm going to do better. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to read my Bible every day. If, if your mind is going to all that you're going to do, then stop, please. <laughs> please stop. I hear so many people immediately think, okay, I feel conviction. Now I've got to do something about it. And y'all, this is me. I am that way. I'm not pointing the finger at me. As soon as the Lord convicts me of something, I'm like, all right, great. Here's my plan for how I'm going to accomplish it. No, that is not the answer. You can't fix your heart, but Jesus can. And so if you have any plan to do anything, it should be coming to the feet of Jesus and saying, Lord, you do your work. You help me. You fix me. I can't do it. I am not one of the righteous. I am one of those sin-sick people who need your healing. And Jesus says to us, I know. I know. I know all of the broken and shattered places in your heart, all of those things you don't want to talk to me about, all of those things you're ashamed of and are making you feel guilty, I know them and I love you and I died for every piece of that broken and fractured heart and I want it. I want all of it. I want all of your heart. I want all of you to come to me, everything that you're ashamed of. You're good and you're bad. You're shiny and you're sick. Everything that you don't want to show me, your greed and your fear and your lust and your pride, your control and your rage and your guilt and your shame and your anxiety and your depression, all of it, bring it to me. I died for you. I want you. I want your whole heart. Stop pretending that you're one of the righteous. Come to me as one of the sinners who need to be healed. Only I can make your heart whole again. And he does, church, and he will. And for some of you who know him, you've seen it happen. We're all still in process. We're all still being healed. But I've seen beautiful things done in people's hearts when they just opened them up to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm yours. I can't do it, but you can, and I believe it. And he will. He will, church. So we're going to do something together, if, if you want to, if you're willing. Um, we're going to act out physically what I think the Lord is calling us to spiritually today. Um, so again, if you're willing, you can participate. If not, that's all right. But I would ask that all of you close your eyes. Um, don't worry. We're not, not getting crazy. Um, I'll close my eyes too, so I don't know, don't know what's going on. Um, but this is what we're going to do. So if you want to participate, feel free to jump in. Hold your hands close together and close to your chest, over your heart, and imagine yourself holding all of the things that you're ashamed of, all of the sins that maybe you've never told anybody about, the things that you don't want to talk to the Lord about, the things that cause you guilt and shame, every part of you that you don't like, hold it in your hands. And now I want you to take your hands and put them out away from your body. And if you can, and if you're willing, open your hands up to the Lord. Offer him all of that messy, broken stuff that you are not proud of, but that you have tried so hard to fix and you can't. Just offer it up to him. And then turn your palms down. And let all those things fall at his feet. Let them go. 
Let them fall at the foot of his cross. He died so that his blood could cover over all of that stuff. Now turn your palms back up and receive his mercy and his grace. Receive his healing and his wholeness and his redemption. That is what he is offering you today. That is the best deal you could ever be offered. His wholeness, his healing, his redemption for all of that stuff that you don't want to carry anymore. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the good physician. You are our savior. You are the only one who can do something about this brokenness we see when we look inside ourselves and are so ashamed. Oh Lord, you came and you died and you rose so that we wouldn't have to live in that anymore, but so that we could be free. And so Lord, I pray your freedom over every one of these people here and outside and online and wherever they find themselves listening. Oh Lord, would you remind us that we can't fix ourselves? Lord, would you um, call us away from all of those other lovers that aren't satisfying, that aren't fixing, that aren't repairing the damage in our hearts? Lord, would you call us to yourself? into your presence, into your love? Would you show us again how good and rich and soul-satisfying your love is? Lord, we want to know you more. We want to love you back in the same faithful, diligent way you have loved and pursued us. Oh, Jesus, we give you the praise today. Here's our hearts, Lord. We give all we can to you. Keep doing your good work on us. Good, good physician. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.